Welcome to Between the Lines, an Oaks Church Brooklyn podcast where we go behind the scenes of our current series, The Story of God, alongside our pastors and a few friends. We hope you enjoy. And we're back. We're back. Uh, you know, just some like like topics this week. <laughs> yeah, no no big deal. Yeah, just uh aliens? Aliens and giants and spiritual beings. You should have heard the podcast before the podcast. <laughs> oh, those, that will be the lost tape. Um, uh, okay. So this past week, we obviously continued in the story. We were looking at essentially the flood narrative. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit before that, we kind of went into you know, Genesis 5, 6, uh, this yeah. understanding of kind of the the lineages of mm-hmm. Seth and Cain. And there is this, you know, weird, uh, weird, it's a relative term, but. Uh, weird to us. You know, weird to the Western mind. Yeah. Uh, I would say of, you know, start of six and this, this, this word that there were the sons of God, the Elohim. Yeah. Right. The Ben and, Elohim. Yeah. yeah. Saw the daughters of men were attractive and took them as wives. And so obviously there's a question like, Wait, what? What did we do with yeah. this? <laughs> what do you do with this? Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I, I, I think it's helpful maybe. So just to reiterate, right? Genesis 6 has this weird reference to sons of God giving birth to giants, which yes. they call the Nephilim, which can also be translated as the fallen ones, which is an interesting um, textual note. But yeah, so what do I make of this? So um, it seems to be a throwaway passage, but it seems to be something a part of the Israelite worldview. And so there's kind of three ways in history, um, throughout the history of interpretation, people have approached this passage. Um, kind of the more historical Jewish interpretation, definitely popular in like Second Temple Judaism, so the Judaism of Jesus' day, was that the sons of God were spiritual beings, a part of God's divine council, whose rebellion was kind of crossing the boundary and procreating with human beings and the giants the nephilim are the offspring of these kind of angelic human creations so right, can, can i, can I, yeah, can I jump in that. That? yeah well i just want to ask you a question okay yeah because you mentioned the term divine counsel and some people are like I don't yeah know what that is yeah I, so there's this kind of idea when especially we see this in the early chapters of genesis where god speaks in the plural and so the term divine counsel has been used by Hebrew and Semitic scholars to refer to like the heavenly host, like God is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the angels armies. And it's like this pantheon of divine beings who administer the affairs of the cosmos on Yahweh's behalf. Mm-hmm. That Yahweh being, you have to think in ancient Near East, there's like the conception of like the, the suzerain, the, the ruling king, and then his subordinates that govern his land that, that mimics kind of the, conception of god being the the lord of hosts the supreme being and delegating his authority through spirit other spiritual beings elohim yeah little g gods so i'm hearing there's and this like what immediately comes to mind we haven't gotten there in the story yet but yeah there's the the beginning of job yeah right and yeah, there seems yeah. to be that god is having like he's a, holding court yeah holding court it's like you know who's he holding court with yeah there's these people and they're having these conversations yeah and, and there's some challenges about mankind and so when i'm hearing you talk about divine counsel what i'm hearing you say is like oh there's there's essentially kind of this 
this body of divine, celestial, heavenly beings. Yeah. Of which the God of the Hebrew Bible is chief among chief among that that what would say is they are also created beings uh-huh. Yahweh what we understand about Yahweh from a Hebrew Christian understanding being he's uncreated so he creates these beings as kind of like his administrators uh-huh. and so there seems to be a divine rebellion and they and this is actually what the entire book of Enoch this kind of second temple um, Jewish literature is about like re- telling this fleshing out this story Mm. So that's one perspective. Okay. Second perspective is that we get introduced, and we talked about this actually this past week, about these two lines, the line of Cain and the line of Seth, these two lines that descend from Adam. And so actually it's Augustine who in Christianity makes this interpretation popular, that the sons of God are the line of Seth and the daughters of humanity is the line of Cain. What's really being spoken to here is just an, an intermixing of lineages. The line of Seth being seen in the story is that line devoted to God. The line of Cain, kind of like this rebellious line. And, and that causes chaos and destruction. And then the third kind of historical interpretation that the sons of God refer to like divinized earthly rulers, very common in the ancient Near East to make rulers deities. Yeah. And essentially when they taking the daughters of humanity, essentially means they're kind of swath of conquest and in the ancient Near East and throughout human history, sexual violence and warfare go hand in hand. And so that's what it's speaking to. It's kind of like these three perspectives. And the question is, what do we do with it? Okay. So to recap, I'm hearing there's a, there's kind of a, a metaphorical version where yeah. this is speaking to, uh, kind of like the, the divine and the and the human yeah these two lines are being intermingled yeah uh, i'm hearing something of a actual kind of like a historical yeah. literal yeah. version where essentially this is a way of encapsulating cultures that surrounded the the what would become the israelite yeah. people they are being uh essentially ransacked by right. neighboring tribes yeah yeah uh, who are influencing them their they're kind of like their bloodlines, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then kind of something of of the middle, where there's a there's both a a metaphysical, spiritual, yeah, thing happening, yeah, that the book is describing, and also that's indicative of uh, there's this one kind of family, and they're being intermixed with the rest of the world. Yeah, and so yeah, you kind of have these three positions, and. I think maybe something I would love to ask you is like, okay, these are interesting interpretive opinions and there's flaws and there's flaws and strengths in all of them. But when I think of my question for myself, I'm, I'm a, I'm someone reading this Bible, following this story, despite these interp these interpretive differences, what do you make of this for, for like for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think there's what's interesting about what happens this is kind of actually I'm going to set up for another question that was asked, Perfect. which was um, essentially the, the, the question that was sent in was, hey, it feels like it's pretty reductive to go like line of Seth, good people, yeah. line of Cain, bad people. Yeah. And and that then God has like his favorites and then his not favorites. But then you get into somewhere like. What Paul says, like Romans eight three, that all people have yeah. fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yeah. And so, if all people are kind of bad, or even as we've said, all people contain chaos, 
then what gives is this kind of reductive sense. Sure. Uh, good people and bad people. And so I guess the sense that I make of this story is that kind of what I tried to allude to on Sunday uh, during the teaching was that I think all people, all people carry the propensity for chaos. And even during this time of the story, what's I think being encapsulated is that Noah isn't unlike the other people uh, in his like ontology or yeah. his being. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. he's like made of different stuff. Like the line of yeah. Seth aren't made of different stuff, but there's something of, you know, it's not what you do, but how you do it. Yeah. And so I think like where there is a delineation that the scriptures is highlighting is there are people who have yielded to the order that the Lord created. Right. Yeah. Like, and then there are people who are in, who are antagonized and and hold in contempt the order of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so I think like that's what's being borne out is that like, you know, you go again, go back to the garden. God, God, God creates this ordered place. And this yeah. is live in it. Just don't touch this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then everything goes to pot, you know, which I don't know. That's a Southern saying. Do you guys yeah, say that no, in the no, North? No. Yeah. Go to pot. Well, there you go. Um, so everything goes to pot. And then, and then here we go again. Uh, we're back in this place where the whole world, instead of kind of yielding to the order of the Lord is going, no, we hate your order. We just want to do what we want to do. And this is where I think Genesis 6 says that there's just there's just evil everywhere. Yeah, evil and violence. Yeah. So that so yeah, so in some ways, yeah, the world isn't can't be reduced into good people and bad people as uh my best friend who's um from Iowa, his mother uh <laughs> said, there's so much good <laughs> and the, there's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad and the best of us that it behooves none of us to think too lowly of the rest of us. Mm. That's powerful. <laughs> Iowa moms, Midwest, <laughs> Midwest, those Midwestern wisdoms, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, it's not that these they're, they're selected or non-selected, but like, what do you do with your choice in life? Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting to kind of tease out too, that, there's obvious there's an obvious kind of polemic happening here too there's this obvious engagement with other stories and if we again we go back to this thing that the final form of the of the old testament is being put together in the exile post-exilic period how do you combat the narrative that the Babylon, that the babylonian empire is telling about itself and what was interesting about the foundings of babylon was that they connected their culture to like this golden age pre-flood culture i.e what we see in gilgamesh and gilgamesh being this arbiter of of kind of pre-flood knowledge and the founding of babylon and what israel is also saying is a polemic like hey that that lineage you have you think you're descended from these these great kings you're actually descended from either rebellious spiritual beings or at, at, at worst at best rebellious humans yeah and so i think that's important to notice it doesn't make it any less compelling or spiritually true but it is uh, there are engaging with another story yeah you can't lose sight of that and also you know a little spoiler for what's ahead but so much of the rest of the story is about the worst people 
yeah. rapists, murderers, like incestuous, like those people yeah. are used by God. Yeah. Right? Um, mm. And like, how do you like, like I think about like even Noah, right? Yeah. So someone asked uh, essentially a question about like, you know, Noah as a parallel to Adam, but did Noah not have like free will? And uh, no, I, I think Noah had sure. absolutely free will. Noah yeah. could have not not gotten in the ark. Yeah, right. Um, he did, and yeah. I, and I, I talked at the end of the last teaching about the silence. How Noah doesn't say anything, and I don't think that that's Noah not having free will. I I would say that's something of Noah's rejection of his free will. Mm. Like like it, there, there's no. Noah doesn't ever, at least not recorded, just go to God and be like, what's going on here? What sense do I make of yeah. this? He's just kind of a dutiful soldier. Yeah. And yes, I think when, what sense I make of this story is that like dutifully obeying God will yield to a form of life, yeah. right? Like you will like... You'll survive the flood. Yeah, you'll survive the flood, but at, at like what cost? You know, yeah. like I see, and maybe this is the, the psychotherapist in me. Like, uh, I see someone who's struggling with like depression on the yeah. other side of that. Yeah, who's got to get drunk, mm. so drunk that he like is going to lose his clothes and all kind of mess is going to come. That's next, yeah. you know, in two weeks. Uh, and, and I wonder if, if Noah had allowed himself to just, to just take his concerns to God, mm. I don't think he would have been rejected. You know, like there's going to be a story that we probably won't get to in our telling, but like, where there are these, these cities that God is going to destroy and yeah. Abraham, who's a servant goes to him and is like, wait, <laughs> can yeah. I? And God doesn't despise Abraham yeah. for raising the alarm. And he moves towards Abraham even. And and I and I just wonder what would have happened for Noah um, had he just actually taken his free will. Still could have been obedient. I'm not talking yeah. about the exercise of free will is not necessarily the rejection of God, but it is the informed living in the way of God, yeah. right? So, I don't know. What... Yeah, I think as I sit with that, I think I see an interesting development in the typology, which is like you have Adam, whose whose great sin is this desire to what you just described, autonomy outside of God, and so there's kind of this portrait that autonomy is the problem, um, and so you kind of have dutiful Noah, but even. The problem isn't autonomy because even duty will get you drunk in a tent and having some issues with one of your sons. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we evolve to who we're going to begin to see in the next two weeks, Abram, eventually Abraham, who is kind of this balance of both dutiful and obedient and yet autonomous and really broken and really broken. And so it's almost as if there's this kind of, allegory here and I, I use that word carefully of which the problem with humanity is not that we're free the problem with humanity 
is not that we have the capacity for radical obedience. It's that either oriented wrongly leads to death. Yeah. And so what we need is someone who can relate to God as truly free and truly obedient, but in such a way that it leads to life. Yeah. Letting him order the chaos of their yeah. lives. Yeah. Letting him order the chaos of his lives. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that, though, because, you know, we're talking about, okay, we would advocate that, like, hey, God has the perspective to order your life in mm-hmm. such a way that leads to flourishing. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions that comes up when you listen to, obviously, the, the garden story, when you listen to the Noah story, and you have this moment where this is that God had, like, this remorse. Mm. Uh, I think there's a worthwhile question that's asked, like— is this God the most like trustworthy? Like, like, does he know mm. everything? Because if he knew everything, if he knew where this is going, then why would he do it? Like, yeah. you know, like if you know that mankind is just going to reject you, why would you make mankind to begin with? Or did you not know? And if you don't know, then are you just shooting in the dark? And why should I trust you? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, how do yeah. you, what sense do you make of, what do you do to that question? What do you say to that question? Yeah, I think how I sit with that question is we do a lot of projecting on God. Mm. So we too have freely entered in relationships with others at the promise of love and friendship and solidarity only to be rejected. And our remorse is not sometimes that we've entered into that relationship, but the remorse of the loss of what that thing could have been. And so I think when I, when I hear that, I I think I see something of what God is experiencing, which is God is God's remorse is not that, darn it made a mistake it's the remorse i think on behalf of humanity which is Mm. if only you knew the life you could have with me you you know it's funny my wife and i have been like um (laughs) you know confession we were watching love is blind Mm, because i think as a pastor it's a funny show to watch because i think i do like out loud pastoral counseling Uh as i watch this show Uh And there's this one girl and there's a breakup obviously that happens. And what she tells him is, is not less so that she's heartbroken, but man, like you missed out on something. And so when Such I hear, a burn, right. Yeah. yeah like, I know it's, <laughs> you didn't dump me. You hurt yourself. Right. Like you missed out on something great. <laughs> oh um, girl. And so there, I think there's something in the remorse of God is less about God being, Oh, I didn't know this was going to happen, but God feeling remorse for humanity. Like you don't know what, what, what could have happened if you were faithful. Mm the life you could have had in me. Yeah, you know, I used to be a photographer a whole other life ago. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a concept in photography, negative contrast. It's also in um, what a lot of x-ray technology is mm. built on. And it's this idea of that you can see something by creating a stark enough contrast between something else, yeah. right? And so, if, uh, you know, if you've ever had to go in and drink that chalky stuff because you got to get an x-ray out to get a, like an esophagus wow, x-ray yeah. and they make you drink this poison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but then what it does is they like it, it highlights your esophagus against the darkness of, you know, mm. your rib cage and all the other fluids. And so, and so they can see what's going on. 
Uh, that comes to mind for me to this because it, it brings up two things in how I relate to this idea of God and what's he doing is that God is allowing the negative contrast of humanity to reveal and affirm his goodness. Mm. And so he's not unmoored by evil yeah. as like, as if it's going to overwhelm him. Yeah. But to your point, like he is heartbroken by it, but he also allows it because yeah. it, it, it shows it, it, it further displays his glory. Yeah. And also I think the other thing that comes to mind is, is that God just doesn't, his, his relation to pain is just frankly different than ours, sure. particularly in a Western mindset that says like pain is the enemy of good and mm. that anything that's going to bring you harm uh, needs to be out of your life and mm. shouldn't exist. And we should squash anything that carries the capacity for harm. Right. And I think that's to lead to a life devoid of contrast, uh, which in photography makes for a, a crap picture. <laughs> um, you need contrast, but you need a healthy amount of contrast. I think in the same way that we need a healthy amount of pain. And so there is, I think, cosmologically that the Lord allows a healthy amount of pain to exist, but also lets it spill over so that we can see his goodness. And like, you know, think of it this way. Like, I think there's a very big difference in being stabbed and being operated on. Mm. Though both involve cutting. Mm. And I think the major difference is one happens to you, the other happens with you. One takes in consideration your recovery and the other doesn't. Mm. And so like, yes, the Lord allows us to be cut open. But in order that he can like excise that which is broken within us. Yeah. And he has provided way to care for us in the aftermath, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, he creates mankind because he wants mankind, but also he wants to display his glory. And the hope is that we can see the contrast mm. and say, I'll choose to go your way freely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I hear that immediately, I think of someone who might say, so does that mean like, God sends suffering my way or, you know, what about the little kid with cancer? How's God trying to display his glory there? And I think it's those questions speak to like a real pain. And I think as I, as I sit with some of that, there, there is a sense in which there's in, 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 in the new Testament, there's something spoken to of like, why does God seem slow in his justice? Why does God seem slow in his coming? And we actually get a tease of that in Genesis when, when God puts up his bow in the sky, it was like, if I gave, if I dealt with evil right now in the way you think I should deal with evil, then there'll be no humanity on the earth. Me, me included. I would yeah. Be the first zapped. Exactly. And so there is a sense in which the provision of God that allows for suffering is in part tied up in his slowness and kindness that leads to repentance. And I, that's kind of hard, hard to wrap your head around, but there is something like we often say, so why doesn't God just come in and fix it right now? Do away with evil. Well, that's what he did with the flood. And he said, I'll never do that again because yeah, my absolute justice requires includes you. Includes you. Yeah. But my, my slow, my long suffering with your evil and violence 
Well, that's the thing that leads to repentance. Yeah, that's good. I think just wrap it up. Kind of, you know, being a dad, and I think you're gonna you're gonna be learning this in, sh- <laughs> in short order. You know, like so much of love is predicated on long suffering, and so much of that long suffering is necessary when you're dealing with someone who just doesn't have perspective. Mm. Like my son will come back from, you know, day camp where they have given him bouts of sugar all day. Like, like it was like Valentine's a few weeks ago (laughs) and at school they had like candy all day. And then he got home and it was like, Hey buddy, time for dinner. And he's like, I want a treat. And I'm like, dude, Absolutely not. Yeah, like you, yeah. Not that I hate, I don't want you to be happy. And I know a treat like delights your heart, but you don't understand that the amount of sugar that you have, if you have any more, it is going to throw you out of whack. But he doesn't have the perspective yeah. for that, right? And so it looks like I'm punishing him. Mm. It looks like I hate him. Um. And and there is a pain, and I don't want to dismiss that there is a genuine pain when he sees the bag of what he knows rightfully does make him happy. Yeah. There is a pain that happens when I take it away and when I put it up in the cabinet. Yeah. Right? And I don't want to despise that. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, have to do it for his ultimate health, right? Again, mm-hmm. that kind of operation. And so— I don't think there's ever I don't think there will ever be a satisfactory answer to the question of God's long suffering with evil. But the best I make of it is in some way a thankfulness that his perspective is higher than mine. Yeah. And I do believe this God to be good and that and that from that place he knows how much evil humanity can stand. Yeah. How much evil his plan will allow mm. and and there's a graciousness for that which I benefit from because I perpetuate so much brokenness in and through my own self yeah so mm. um all right we gotta wrap up here but I'm curious we're we're, we're moving next week we're we're exiting the story we're we're finished we finished chapter one yeah we should have started with that chapter yeah, no, one, congratulations to everyone we've made yes it. chapter one of 15 is done chapter two begins uh yeah the covenant of covenant, abraham the covenant of abraham uh once you, you want to tease anything as we kind of take hit this like first like the yeah. second waypoint yeah so this sunday will be coming to like this kind of mile marker in the story where we'll kind of zoom out of the story to get some perspective. And we'll be talking about the idea of covenants, which becomes a really important story of Abraham. It's actually a really important story of Noah too. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll be kind of hitting on what are covenants and how do they kind of play into the story of God. And hopefully that will become a way in which we can track the story um, as God's plan of redemption unfolds from here. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And until next week, between lines, between lines. lines.